welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have a conversation with Destiny, all about how asexuality redefines our understanding of human development and what sexuality really means. Together, we talk about the independence of the virgin goddesses, the taboo of intimacy, and being proudly ace. I feel like the biggest thing I'm taking away from this conversation with Destiny is just this profound frustration I guess is probably the right word with the fact that some people have such a hard time with acknowledging that there are other perspectives out there, other tastes, other desires that may not be the same as theirs. Somehow that makes us so insecure about what that means for us that we try to say something's wrong with you for being different. Um, Yeah, I don't know. And I think you're going to hear that throughout this conversation with Destiny and all the people that try to tell them that something was wrong with who they are. And so it is with much honor and joy that I get to hold a space for these conversations and to maybe help someone else out there that is on the ACE spectrum to know that nothing is wrong with you. Tune in. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So you're in school? I'm, <laughs> I'm in school for my doctorate. And I'm, but I'm also a therapist and a professor. Cool. So, oh wow, okay. Where are you getting your doctorate at? I'm getting my doctorate over at Pacifica Graduate Institute. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, it's in depth psychology, where I'm, where we're specialized in integrative therapy and healing. Cool. Okay, so yeah, I only know a little bit. That's Jungian. Jungian, yeah. Yeah, what's your like short-term definition of it? Because I I haven't learned anything about depth psychology in my program. Well, I mean, if we look at the term depth, I mean depth. It means like going really into the unconscious. It's staying into the shadow, really leaning into that. It's bringing in the psyche. So it's mm-hmm. a lot of how can we expand outside of this like Western psychological narrative sure. of okay, think this, do this, and kind of being with the client in that shadow underworld we young yans use the term underworld the underworld where the nasty stuff is and not just say okay how can we just immediately get you out of it it's like okay what is being in this space telling us about Mm. what's going on yeah definitely that maybe we don't want to confront how did you choose that type of psychology because i had never even heard about that yeah that was <laughs> well i mean i grew up in a household that was like oracle and tarot cards and talking sure. to like spirit and doing samples my mom's a yoga teacher slash training to be a yoga therapist so Ooh. yeah i came from a household where that kind of talk was normal and i actually my first degree is in history <laughs> Okay. Okay. So this is like a thing. Like, you well, know, tell me be, the story. Yeah, I was gonna be a lawyer. I actually got into a master's program for history when I was like, I don't know if that's really for me. And then had went. It's funny. I went to Turkey, uh-huh. and I went to like this will come in because I went to Artemis's temple and Oedipus and the I've Virgin Mary. Yeah. 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 And came back and had basically a breakdown on the college campus of like I'm not supposed to be here like was calling my mom crying like this isn't for me and I basically just bounced I left (laughs) I left wow so I kind of that's what we would call in the young intern with entry into the underworld got really depressed kind of floated 
for three Ugh. years with a surgery scheduler somehow at a doctor's office. And then I think there was one point where I was like, you know what, like I need to figure it out. And I went back and got and went a year at Cal Lutheran University and got my degree in psychology and then somehow became a therapist. If people know me, I have social anxiety. I'm socially awkward. This is like, yeah, this is me. And they're like, I'm with you. And I got into the Cal Lutheran program because I'm like, oh, they don't require a thesis. <laughs> yeah, you're like, that's what I want. Less work, want. please. And somehow became a therapist. Like, And while you know training, I've always wanted to be a doctor since I was five. And I'm like, okay. Because for a while, there's... Especially, yeah, after I dropped out of my first master's program, the whole idea of me becoming a doctor seemed like far away. And I'm like, oh, it's close and decided to apply. And I was originally going to go to Texas Women's University and the universe brought tornadoes. And I'm like, nope. And I already said no to Alliant and Pacifica was there. And I was like, okay, Pacifica. And I think a lot of Pacifica students have this weird kind of journey. And yeah. And when I got there and they're like, yeah, active imagination, like you're talking to these figures and, you know, you're doing your, all this stuff that I grew up with that I always kind of loved and had. I mean, I, a history, I studied mythology. I loved mythology, but like, I don't need that in therapy. And then I go to Pacifica and they're like, nope, here you go. And here I am writing a dissertation where Artemis, when I saw it with Turkey, which kind of led me on this whole entryway, I'm, she's really prevalent in this, the beginning stages of my dissertation writing. So it's just a weird journey of how I got there that it's with twists yeah. and roads. And I mean, starting from like a history degree to be a lawyer and now I'm a trauma therapist and for sure, again, it's like, whoa, how did I get here? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. This whole journey of figuring out what you actually want to do when you have Mm -hmm. so many options. I mean, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer as well, which is why I majored in English and minored in philosophy Mm because I was like, great, I'm going to just do so well in the LSAT. This is going to prep me. So I was in a similar boat where I was just thinking that's what I wanted to do. And then I went medicine. So then Mm -hmm. I did chem and bio. And then I came back to psychology. So I did this whole thing too. We were just trying to figure it out. If you look at my undergrad transcripts, like I could have major my my minors were in women's studies and ethnic studies because I was doing a lot of social advocacy kind of stuff and then if you look at my transcript like I had a graduate class in Arthurian literature like I almost could have done a literature degree like I had a bunch of psychology yeah I was like I don't know you can see like this confusion but also the pressure of you need to get this kind of done and just jumping on kind of what I had but I love learning so you can like see through my like people like I even had a student like what aren't you trained in I'm like I don't know I love learning (laughs) yeah 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 so for me math I don't know much (laughs) (laughs) not math for me numbers I see numbers and my mind blanks out but exactly you know like I still read up on history and mythology and literature and stories like I'm a huge Lord of the Rings nerd like that will always be a part and I love that it's been really prevalent in the work that I do now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And I mean, what is history? What is literature? But things created mm-hmm. by humans. Yeah. It's all psychology at the end it's of the day, psychology. right? It's, it's the yeah. history of psychology. <laughs> the history and of psychology. Exactly, because it's just humankind and the way Mm -hmm. we write these stories and narratives that we connect to, especially with things like mythology, which used to guide people's purpose in life and how Mm -hmm. they saw themselves. I mean, yeah, it's all psychology. It's all psychology. And if you look at Jungians, they love the myths because they're like, these are these archetypal, collective, universal images that appear to us and work through us and, you know, come to us. So they're just given different names depending on where, you know, what culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I was told you were studying asexuality. Yes. Okay, because I'm like, okay, how does mythology relate to asexuality? Well, one, I am ace, and I never thought I would study asexuality. That was a whole thing. And reading a lot of work there's been like this kind of call in this Jungian term to bring in like queer studies and there's been 
really nothing on asexuality. I I know. Um, yes. Yeah, it's starting to get momentum. It is the internet orientation because it's for sure getting momentum through social media and it, it always kind of has. And mm-hmm. somehow I was like, hmm, asexuality. And I'm like, I really love mythology and the goddesses. And I'm like, oh, the virgin goddesses, which mm-hmm. is Artemis, which is Athena, which is Hestia. There's so many. And somehow I'm like, but what, what about this? And reading about these women who weren't connected to an other in mythology mm. they weren't in these relationships with other where we have where we have these other goddesses that were kind of known to be connected to somebody else and if we look at you know the virgin of greek mythology was not purity or abstinence or celibacy it was virgo independent mm. and I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I was also kind of grappling with this other one. And then as I kind of leaned into this, the asexuality, basically where's my lived experience as an ace woman who has experience in the mental health field from supervisors and colleagues and, but, you know, from my own therapists and providers where I was like, I don't feel comfortable in these spaces because they're already going into these, there's something wrong with you. Yes. And even being told by a supervisor while I was getting my hours, like, how can you even be a therapist if you don't know true intimacy? That took me down. <laughs> that took Holy me down. Holy shit. Yeah, it was hard. And I even questioned, but then as I kind of leaned in, I'm like, you know what? Nope. And started kind of proclaiming and showing it. I kind of kept it hidden. Wow. Like, I didn't really talk about it. Wasn't ashamed, but didn't feel, you know, I had a professor ask me when they found out, like, are you going to therapy? And Ugh. I kind of have a, well, can we swear on here? Because I'm going to like. Yeah, you okay. can swear all you I want. Go had for it. A, like a fuck it moment and started yes. like, you know what? I'm going to just start as I started getting comfortable as my role as a therapist, kind of saying I'm an yes. asexual therapist. Yeah. And even before advertising, I started getting ace clients. And as the more I start getting more, and then like those who were, I had for a couple like years, and then all of a sudden they're questioning, I'm like, I might be ace, or this is similar, and starting to see it more and more, and then reading about stuff that I love and saying, okay, we're the ace. And just I, like basically going, if I was an ace Jungian student, what would I want to know? And I wanted to kind of, you know, we have books written about like women and archetypal goddesses and the woman experience, but mostly heterosexual white women. And then we had something bringing in like the lesbian experience. And now I'm like, again, this is with another, I want to bring in the ace experience. So it's almost like a continuation. And again, this is, you know, kind of looking at these virgin goddesses, these mythological figures who, you know, we're always kind of looked at like these independent women, but I'm like, what would it look like through maybe an ace lens? Yes. And that's how we get like how we get all the way through here. Yeah. Yeah, Especially like given the juxtaposition of that one clinician telling you basically something's wrong with you to the Mm -hmm. vision that you're seeing here of ownership and claiming Mm -hmm. this identity with pride as something unique and special. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of just, you know, I think a reclaiming or even dismantling of this idea of what it means to be like what sexuality even means. Yeah. As in, um, yeah, because we live in a very sex normative society where a lot of scholars have Freud himself were like in order to basically get to this maturity level, like you need to have sex, you need to be sexual and the Kate created this narrative that to be human is to be sexual and to engage in sex. And as we know, I mean, asexuality, ace people have been showing up forever, just not really, you know, they were the infamous group X on the Kinsey scale, if anyone's familiar with the Kinsey scale. Yep, yep. And so for us who are ace, and then, you know, there's ace who, who some who don't engage in sex. And it's like, well, we are adults, we are mature, but according to these development milestones, we're not. And there is this kind of stereotype of like the, we're the naivety of some of these ace uh, 
people or the prudishness or there's something again you must be traumatic and again I'm like okay so what does asexuality say about human development and what sex and sexuality means Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right as in yes there is this kind of talk but what does it mean when you're like you know what I don't need it and I can be a yeah. fully functional fully developed adult but if you're looking at the scholarship of now that's not so true exactly and what a difficult thing to sit with right when mm -hmm. psychology in that field might be telling you that something's wrong with you and having that internal conflict of is something mm -hmm. wrong with me or is this really me and that's such a difficult place to sit in internally and especially alone you know if you don't mm -hmm. feel like you can talk to other people about this the people that you did talk to about this shut you down immediately right mm -hmm. i mean where can you go to have these levels of conversation yeah especially as a teen where Ugh. sex becomes big and that's where you know I never had a crush ever mm -hmm, I pretended mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. but never still have not had a crush I can look at someone like yeah they're aesthetically pleasing but there's no crush happening and then in high school when everyone kind of wanted to talk about it and I'm over here like wanting to talk about Harry Potter so it's like right you were right. the teen conversation and back then like that wasn't I mean even the Asexual Visibility Education Network kind of started around like the 2000s. So I would have been like nine or 10 and it still wasn't like big. And so, I mean, I, I was in high school, I graduated in 2009. So, I mean, that's not a big, you know, internet access was back then. YouTube was kind of just starting, right? Right, 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 right. Yes. And then even when I went to my pride center at my undergrad, um, a was for like allies there wasn't a lot of talk mm, about asexuality. asexuality so I yeah. didn't even have a term for my experience until I was in my early 20s after around like 22 23 and then mm. pointing and being like oh yeah that's yeah. who I am and now working with ace youth I mean they're like oh yeah I'm an ace and it's like so cool that they can have this they don't have to feel maybe as alienated as some of us who grew up without even really knowing that term. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what you mm -hmm. felt like alienation? Yeah. I felt even like, I think some of people back there were looking like, oh, she's young or naive or is something going on because I just was not interested in talking about it. Didn't mean, I mean, I'm a kink positive. Sure. Of course. Right. I'm, I'm very comfortable with my clients talking about sex I know a lot about sex because trying to figure out why I wasn't interested in it made me really educated on like about like sex of course yes. and I find that's actually kind of common like one of my friends is an ace sex educator we know like we're I'm quite comfortable talking about because it's like eh right there's nothing yeah, exactly right yeah and I see you know I work with that actually I work with a lot of sexual trauma survivors so sex comes into the conversation and so again it's that what does it mean to be this mature person in a world where sex is normal and to be human is to have and be sexual yeah and that's exactly what I want to hear I mean how do you see yourself functioning in that world mm -hmm. and it's been hard um I mean, if you talk to a lot of ACE individuals, they're terrified to go to the doctor. We're terrified to go, especially at like OBGYN or something like that. And I we have to apologize you. Yeah. Be again, immediately going into, okay, like what's wrong? Mm, yes. And something has to be wrong. Something has to be wrong. And the DSM is full of, you know, all these diagnoses of these sexual dysfunction, not saying that people can't have them because they can regarding, you know, there's a lot of things that could affect libido. But as we know, asexual has nothing to do with the libido. It is an orientation. And so going to doctors, even now in 2022, is scary. Yeah, we don't know what we're going to get. Right. And they're not even trained on sex in general, right? They get, mm -hmm. I think what some statistic was saying, they get like three hours of sex training mm -hmm. for doctors in the medical field. I mean, so yeah. And then to bring up something like asexuality, that is not even something that they've touched on during their education. Mm -hmm. So 
unless they've done this outside work, they're just immediately going to make assumptions about what that experience is. Yeah. And again, like, I think ASEX, which is the sex educator, I forget what it stands for. Dr. Hamilton, is that you? Jolie, yeah. is that you? Yes, and, um, yes, yeah. I hope I said her last name. <laughs> um, Hamilton, I think, yeah. Yeah. Um, they just, I think, was it last week or two weeks ago, this month, just kind of came out and saying, like, asexuality is a sexual orientation. Like, we are honoring that as sex yes. educators, as sex therapists. Like, this is now part of the dialogue. And that was, like, huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huge. But again, it's like yep. 2022, right? And we're, you know, we see these with like the queer studies of who's left out of queer studies in general, which are Black people of color. Pansexuality mm-hmm. is starting to get their momentum. Disabled. Asexuality, yeah. polyamorous relationships, yeah. knowing the difference between a romance orientation and a sexual orientation. So we have aromantic. So bringing in these other orientations into the conversation. Yeah. And what did it feel like finding that label? I know you're talking about later in your life getting to learn about asexuality. Uh And what did it feel like to learn about this label knowing since your early childhood you were having these thoughts and wondering and questioning? That there wasn't anything wrong with me. Oh, yes. Because through my research, I was really going into what must be wrong with me. And then uh, I don't even rem- I can't even remember what I googled to figure. I think I think it was like people who aren't really interested in sex or isn't sexually attracted. And then like this Avent came up, and then I read that, and I'm like, is this real? Because like, you know, yeah. the internet. And then finding the Facebook groups were the first pieces, and then now there's like hey, hashtag asexuality on Instagram, and it's really building momentum through TikTok and it's been really, you know, Ace by Angela Chen came out. That was I read that book. It's yeah, huge. We, it's huge. I remember when that came out and people were like, what? And then, yeah, I mean, we had the Invisible Orientation book, which is great. It's something I recommend. But then we get Ace and then it really becomes part of the conversation. Yes. Yes. And yes. Again, huge. And even when I was thinking of doing this dissertation, starting proposing, starting the research, ACE hadn't come out yet. So it still wasn't really talked about. And there were still people like, what? And now actually presenting, like getting a concept paper and people even say, wow. And we were actually in the class after I presented concept paper, we were talking about Marilyn Monroe, interesting enough. And her experience, and I'm not saying anything for anyone, but I was thinking like, wow, her experience sounds very familiar to an ace experience regarding her. I don't know. Tell me. Yeah. She would say like, she didn't really have orgasms. She thought something was broken within her. And there's a lot of trauma and stuff there, but I'm like, it sounds similar. And I had someone text me because we're, you know, we're online now and was like, this sounds like an ACE experience. I'm like, I, huh. after your presentation, now I'm like thinking about that. I'm like, I did my job. Like right there, like that we can, we're not saying anything regarding like Marilyn Monroe. I know she's a big figure and this can be like a whole thing, but that at least the idea of bringing asexuality into the narrative to actually sit and think like, hmm, could this be an ACE experience instead of completely writing it off? Exactly. Carved out this space for that to be Mm -hmm. a potential and a potential identity for someone to take that would allow them to feel authentically themselves rather than exactly what you're talking about of feeling Mm -hmm. like, is something wrong with me? Yeah. And that's what I, you know, I want with like psychologists and mental health professionals is to just have that when someone comes in and they're struggling with sex and not feeling like something's broken because they're just not attracted. And again, we know it's fluidity and people can change, but instead of completely going into, and I say this, everyone asks me like, what it is a medical thing? Well, I ask all my clients to go to the doctor because we know biology affects mental health. So if we're getting that cleared and why can't we put that on the table as an option of what they're going through versus completely writing it off and then having them go back. Because what can happen is, they're asked to go to all these medical exams over and nothing changes because that has nothing to do with biology at that point. 
and that can be very traumatic in and of itself. So I keep invisible orientation and ACE and these articles on standby. So when we do all that, I'm like, and here's another option. And some people come back and say, "Mm, not really. And some say, that's me. And it's for the, the, the that's me people who, again, have especially older generations who haven't heard of it, who've been dealing with decades of what's wrong with me. Exactly. And that is such such a hard place to be because it's it's questioning what's wrong with my own body and my own mm-hmm. natural, de- you know, wants and desires. I mean, that is such yeah. a difficult place to be wrestling with. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's been since I was, you know, puberty hit where I'm like, am I, there must be something wrong with me because I'm not with where my peers are at. And finding, again, that term and realizing I'm like, oh no, there is nothing wrong with me. I'm <sighs> asexual because yeah. I've had everything checked. I'm fine. There's there's nothing wrong there. And it because of that, I was like, yeah. And then I kind of got, now I'm just more at this point where I'm at, which took a long time. I just proclaim it. I love that, that energy. Yes. Yeah. So when people come like, do you need to go to therapy? Did you get, go to the doctor? Did we check out? I'm like, I'm ace. Go away. Yes. Yes. I don't, you know, and again, I'm like, I am, I go to a therapist because, of course, we go to therapists or psychologists for our mental health. That's that's a requirement to graduate. But that's good. I I am a mental health. So, again, don't question me. Like, I know what's going on. I'm proudly ace. I'm proudly ace. And since I've declared and kind of owned that and this dissertation topic, I have met wonderful ACE women and ACE professionals. And, you know, we came together to the panel. Like, it's been amazing. Found out one of them lived like a couple, like a couple miles away from me. And I was like, oh, <laughs> finding the community and then being asked to like speak on this to a mental health like who are starting their their journey mental health therapist journey as trainees and being asked to go to these places to talk about what it's like to work with ace clients yeah right and all of this comes from you taking pride in who you are Mm -hmm. and showing up as your authentic self right because then you're able to speak freely and with Mm -hmm. the confidence of your own lived experience so yeah then Mm -hmm. you're connecting with all these other people that are learning from you and you're getting to share Mm -hmm. from yeah. And again, it's recognizing boundaries as well, because one of the questions we ace get is like, well, how, what's your sex history? And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you my sex history. That's not okay. Right. And I, it's so funny how those in the LGBTQ plus community constantly get asked about our sex history. Mm-hmm. Like, no, <laughs> we don't, you don't have the right to our sex history because of our identity. But I also recognize because of where I'm at, like, I feel comfortable talking about certain subjects so I'm like come to me with questions if others who identify as ace like they don't owe you this education but I'm choosing to share it so come to me and that's kind of what I I mean like I said I'm a learner I do teach I'm adjunct faculty like I enjoy teaching I enjoy doing presentations I'm like talk to me about it I'm totally open and I will say no to things that are not okay to ask right right Yeah, what pieces of your story do you feel like are pertinent to like understanding yourself and identity uh-huh. that you'd want other people to know that maybe don't know a lot about asexuality? Really, it's the one is that because it's there's like a miscommunication because those who are we call allosexual, so who um, engage in sex and experience sexual act- attraction, and then asexual, like there's a miscommunication because it's like, well, we don't know what it's really like to feel sexually attracted to someone and they don't understand how we don't. So we do it like sometimes like, well, it's like maybe we look at, you look at a really nice painting and it maybe it's like, oh, well, it's pretty, but that's like it. There's no like, want to have sex with that person, right? Um, and of course there's, you know, gray sexual and demisexual who fall in the in-betweens and like, it there needs to be that emotional intimacy. And that's part of the thing I say is I never had a crush. Like that blows people's mind. They're like, how have you never had a crush? I never had a crush on someone. Well, back when you're a kid, it usually when it starts the heterosexual and I never had a crush on a boy. Sure. Ever. Yeah. There was yeah. no time where I'm like, oh, he's cute and get butter. I never had butterflies in my stomach. Like all those things people talk about. 
then people started asking in high school because I wasn't really dating. I was just doing, again, doing my own thing, wasn't interested in dating. No one, you know, didn't really care about it. So people automatically assumed I was a lesbian, which is quite common. And I'm like, well, I'm not dating a girl either. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not dating anyone. And right. they would approach like, you know, you can tell us anything. I'm like, I'm not a lesbian because I've had girls have crush on me and I've had guys like, I don't even know when people flirt. My younger brother, who's five years younger, would have to be like, hey, sis, you know that person? He was like 10. You know that person's flirting with you, right? And I'm like, oh. Like, I, it just, and that's a common thing, too, is we, the, the flirting thing, like the, those butterflies. And then growing older, it's like, it's just not a priority at all. Because I, I also am aromantic as well. So I'm like, no, I have so many other things. I want to do so many other stuff that this being in a relationship, romantic or sexual, is just not a priority to me. And I think that's kind of how it is for so many people. It's like, and we see these articles from like Psychology a Day about like the single epidemic, right? Being single and like how young people aren't engaging in sex and how this is detrimental. And it's like, well, there's a lot of things going on there, but it could also be that what's happening too is that since asexuality is getting more noted like it's normal aware like yeah. people are, are identifying with it more and of course it's fluid you know things change you can change but for me it's not a priority I'm like I got my dissertation I have my clients I teach like there's so many other things I'd rather be doing and that's why we have the whole like the ace cake like we'd rather eat cake <laughs> if you had to choose between sex or cake we go for the cake and that's you see you may have seen like the images of like the ace and the cake and stuff because that's like the the joke about that right and once you have that pressure off you don't have to force yourself to do it yeah yeah and once I had like that pressure of you know what probably not gonna happen I'm probably I'm like not gonna get married don't really want kids I'm gonna be an awesome aunt I felt a lot more freer and then when my my mom actually was like I'm fully okay with just having grand puppies. Like, I don't mm. <laughs> need that. Because so, people ask her, like, oh, she, it's it's just she hasn't met the right person yet. And Ooh. she's like, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm finally, I'm happy with the dissertation and the PhD and the grand puppies. So that having my mom, like, because, you know, people get pressure from parents or family members. And then having, and then, then my brother coming up being like, are you ace? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I figured and then I walked away yeah fine great fine great like that was those were big I'm like okay cool now I can just see me and you know I do get worried from like maybe other family members but eh, and the main important ones are fine with it and I'm like I have I'm totally fine with my puppy and living my life and I don't need and that's part of where I'm going with that dissertation that studying of the I'm right now on the woman asex woman identified um experience because there's a lot of pressure for women to have to be a mom and get married so i'm looking at that way that i'm fully okay and comfortable in this space to be perpetually single and be an aunt and beautiful because my brother loves kids so that probably will happen (laughs) and that kind of, and I said, you know, eventually, maybe when I'm older, maybe I'll foster, but that's not a huge thing. That's like a maybe. And I know right now I'm like way too selfish to have children, <laughs> but, like, but it took me a while to get to that comfortability. And it took I love you, it, and there's still spaces where I'm like, this isn't a safe space for me to advertise that. And I still have times where I'm in like maybe a therapy circle. And I'm like, should I bring in? this ace identity because there are those who just shut it down mm-hmm. right so and who still say oh there must, again must be something wrong with it because we live in such a sex normative society the idea of not engaging not being sexually attracted not being in these relationships not hooking up all this is so like something has to be mind-blowing wrong. yeah something has to be wrong and no there's just some people that that's okay because what can happen is those under the ace identity feel pressure to engage in sex and they don't want to. 
Mm-hmm. And it, it falls into this thing, and that can be traumatic in of itself. That they, because, because this goes with intimacy, again, deconstructing intimacy and love. Like, if I loved this person, then I should want to have sex with them. And so there's this, before they maybe know the term, they may engage in a sexual relationship when they don't feel like they, like it's not comfortable to them. And that can cause trauma within the relationship and with them individually as well. And again, what is, you know, when people think intimacy, they go straight to sex. And we know that intimacy is so much more than that. And that again, I think we're seeing too, I like seeing these articles that let's like normalize having really strong, close friendships. Like why is that like off the table? Why, you know, what if, what, cause that's again with that therapist, like, oh, you'll never know into me. Like, how can you help relationships? I'm like, well, I have experienced heartbreak and pain and loss and things like that. Yeah. And I can't empathize with people who've got, it took a while because sometimes I go to like, oh, there's so much other thing, like, you know, the get over it mentality, but now doing my work and really growing up and being older, I'm like, yeah, I can empathize that that how important that person was to you and how painful that loss is. And I can be ace and do that. Nothing says I can't be like, it's, we're not aliens. We're not on a different level. Like we are human and we understand pain and heartbreak and loss and grief, maybe not in the same way, but we do experience it. Yep. Exactly. And mm-hmm. this is something that I'm always pushing on people too, um, from a li- relationship anarchy space. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. I have. I don't know much, but I have heard about and reading about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm doing my dissertation on. So this is where yeah. I come in, right? Like, um, And it's this concept that we're always in relationship with people, right? Mm-hmm. We, in this western heteronormative lens we've just been so like the best and most intimate relationship you could have is your sexual Mm -hmm. relationship with your partner for the rest of your life Mm -hmm. and all of that versus how can we come back to recognize that we're constantly in relationship with a ton of different people and can have intimacy that takes on various forms with a ton of different people and so I'm always pushing people um you know I'm like I'm I'm intimate with my friends Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, not in the way that you are with your sexual lovers. And I'm like, what? Like, what, where do you draw this line? Where do you say mm-hmm. one is this and one is that? Because like, I think once you start to look at it, there is yeah. no defining lines for these things. Like, no. you can have intimacy of all shapes, kinds, forms, and it's so co-created with the person mm-hmm. before you. Yeah. And again, history nerd, right? Like, we can historically look at how this western idea of marriage and things kind of come and it goes back to like reproduction it goes back to reproduction tell me tell me the whole story i'm here (laughs) and you know we have first of all the victorian era was huge because that became the whole purity thing Mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. so you know being pure and again it's reproduction It, it was all about reproduction then and it created this, okay, like this goal of being married and having children, you know, and then it go to, again, we can look at, and people probably say this, land owning, things like that. And, but it was more, yeah, it was more the Victorian era that really, really brought in the idea of being this pure kind of woman. Of course, it existed before then, but it getting really popularized, I guess, was more in that Victorian kind of era. That's when the romance books kind of started. Yeah, romanticism. The romanticism. The 17th century, yeah, right? 17th century. We got in. love stories and stuff like yes. that. Right? You know yes. English. So, you you know, like the literature started changing. Mm-hmm. Art, from, yeah. You know, we got like the Pride and Prejudice and all that kind of, and it, it, the whole, you know, that really shifted the idea of this kind of romantic relationship. So we had this purity, but we also had romance. And Bridgerton, right, this idea of falling in love, that kind of, that was really in that Victorian era piece. Which is but also before, hilarious. Which yeah, is hilarious. Because before then, it was like, a, it was a business yes. contract. It was a yes. business contract. Romance was not part of the picture. Like chivalry, if we know, if you study our third year, you know what chivalry is. Not good. It was not like, I'm going to bring roses and open doors. It's like, no, I'm going to kidnap you. Like Exactly. <laughs> it was, yeah, so... 
it, it shifted. So now we have this idea of romance and the romantic relationship, right? And then, okay, now sex must, you, and to be in love, you must have sex. And, you know, because you get married and you have babies, that's what you're supposed to do. And now as you're going with this anarchy, it's like, well, we, where did these rules come from? Yes. Right. Who said this? Who said, Who said this? that this is the best way to do this relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, we stopped having kids once we started no longer needing them to mm-hmm. survive through whatever, you know, farming conditions we were in as we became a more industrialized society. We didn't need workers on our little land plots, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure there was love and caring throughout some of these situations, but it's so fascinating to me that people in this current day forget that just very recently women were property. Mm-hmm. Very recently, within the last 100 years, yeah. women were property. Yeah, I have professors telling me, and you know, they're not that old, like from the 70s, having to get permission to open a credit card. Like that Exactly, was... that is exactly what I was going to say, <laughs> a credit card. You couldn't get a credit card yeah. until 1960. Yeah, and so now we have basically a bunch of people recognize like, oh, I don't have to be in a relationship to feel fulfilled. And that's the big piece. And that's what I'm hoping to bring into the narrative of because that's been so into the, the development of human psychology was the milestone. Okay, like you're a teen and you have this sexual awakening and then you discover yourself and then you kind of settle down and then you have the, the marriage and the babies and the kids. And now people are like, well, what if that's not part of my development? What if that's part not my narrative? How like I can be fulfilled and never be engaged with another person? Just and again, it's not. I think when people the like the acephobic get scared and say like, "Well, you're saying like you'll there will never be romance." I'm like, no, I love looking at my friends' wedding pictures and stuff like that. It's just now we need to just open space and add this to the narrative because while some of my friends are getting married and having these, you know, that and that's the norm, and I'm over here and I'm gonna do wedding pictures in my dissertation once it's done. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like. That I love that. Be. That's a good idea. I should do that too. <laughs> That's my committed relationship right now. <laughs> that, yeah, again, it's it's that whole marriage. That's where that should be the goal, especially as a woman. Like that should be the goal. And then it's like that's not my goal. That's never. That's not even close to my goal. And as I look back, you know, I, I'm like part of me is like maybe one day I'll just buy a wedding dress. Cause they're so pretty, and I want to wear one. But I'm like I don't want the actual wedding part. yeah I've seen someone who married themselves and had a whole ceremony and like walked down the aisle and did it and -hmm. you know it's it's so frustrating to okay well I'm excited one because I think like when we look at the history of women not being able to own a credit card to where we're at now that gives me so much hope because Mm -hmm. we're finally for the first time realizing that us as women can survive in this world and not just survive but thrive in this world Mm -hmm. without a relationship you know Mm -hmm. a significant sort of partner where in years past you literally could not that was not an option you couldn't have a credit card you couldn't Mm -hmm. get a job you couldn't do the stuff and so Mm -hmm. how is this going to change in the next 100 years the amount of people that get married in general just because yeah I mean some people will still want that but just having the option of it not being forced I think will change people yeah and I mean we still live kind of in a world where you there's this idea like you need that partner right like okay who's going to be in charge like if something were to happen the medical stuff and then um, sure 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 I'm from California right so so we need someone to help with rent and I think I'm like yeah but look at the golden girl option right the golden girls option this again highlighting the importance of these friendships or these communities of you can you know you can share a home with someone you care about but you don't have to be in love with them or be in like that relationship with them so like normalizing that as well like having these important people in your life that can exist outside of these like the marriage or the relationship or the the romantic partner right like and this is someone who I trust to handle these things too and I think that's where we're going to start leaning to as more and more people are like yeah I don't need to be in this romantic relationship to survive like I can survive on my own I want to have these friendships like these partners I guess you'll say that so because as you know we like humans like connection the pandemic threw that in our face all those introverts including me like we don't need people haha <laughs> yes we do <laughs> yes we do <laughs> but then we, yeah. don't, we don't always need romantic people 
but those who do like they 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 need it too again because there's I like to I have friends where the romance like my brother and his girlfriend for instance they love romance and they love being and I'm like yeah I'm not gonna take that away it's cute <laughs> again like I'm like their number one fan and but I think a lot of people who come with this ace phobic idea are thinking we're trying to erase that mm. right and of course there's ace there's asexual people who are not aromantic, who do want, who have romantic attraction, who do want all the romance, just not the pressure to always engage in the sexual piece of it. Because their sexual orientation is different. That's, again, recognizing the difference between a romantic orientation and a sexual orientation. So I think it's just we're, we're, we're changing the narrative. We're, we're bringing in more. It's not so much even really changing i love pride and prejudice too right love it but what would it be like if she what's her is it emily Bent? no i'm emily uh, I, I'm, I'm forgetting her name but um you know jane? what if what would jane mm, yeah. no that's her sister maybe but ah. <laughs> what would it have been like if she elizabeth? was like elizabeth i think it was elizabeth uh what would it have been like if she was like nope i know back then that couldn't have happened but that's um, no. Did you read Little Women? I did not read Little Women. Okay, so Little Women. This is actually my like undergrad thesis was on Little Women about Joe. So she mm-hmm. is like the one character that never got married. Um, and I remember Louisa May Alcott. I read her journals, and she was talking about how so many of her publishers were trying to get her to marry that character, and she was like, mm-hmm. "No, she does not need to get married." And you know, mm-hmm. having that sort of first character that does do that sort of space, where she's yeah. like, "No, I'm happy with what I'm doing." Um, mm-hmm. And I think what frustrates me so much is that men have been doing this for years Mm -hmm. there have been so many men that have pursued their intellectual careers and have studied science and done all this stuff and never gotten these deep romantic relationships and been so fulfilled through their studies and all that Mm -hmm. they're doing in the other aspects of our lives and none Mm -hmm. of us bat an eye to say oh like that man's not living their life but the second that a woman wants to do it, it's like yeah and to open space because of course i've been talking as because i am a woman but to be an asexual man is a whole other thing significantly because yeah because men are hypersexualized in this society so what is it like i don't know i don't i'm a woman so i'm i was of course in this interview talking through my experience and i hope to you know first let's just get the dissertation done (laughs) and expand and looking at okay what's like the, the ace man's lived experience which is a whole other where i you know people forget to talk that not I'm just gonna say boys are pressured into having sex and if they don't something's wrong with them right sometimes it's okay for women because it's like oh yeah you're pure gonna wait till marriage like there's this whole again that romanticized piece women don't have a sex drive anyways <laughs> you know like all yeah and Ugh. where men are told the exact opposite and so there's being pressured like to have maybe sex before they're ready both as an allosexual and an asexual so what is it like to be an asexual man and that's of course, and you, I'm seeing this too, including myself, that a lot of people who are writing these, these ace stories, like they are mostly women, right? So again, who's missing? I always look for who's missing in the narrative. Which I love that you're doing and, that, yes. And I'm, you know, I saw it here, but I think, oh, I can't remember your name, but you're talking about um, the, that asexuality is mine kind of knows, like it's white, like the white person. So where the asexual black person of color and and that narrative right and i'm of course well i'm mexican italian but again i'm i'm white presenting so i am speaking to that so i'm like where are the missing narratives yes that space yeah because of the own narrative of a certain culture and how they view sex or how the projection of the dominant culture perceives that culture and sex right and so what is like to grow up in there as an asexual person so it's a whole, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to asexuality and the study of asexuality. Of course, it's been like happening. There's a lot of wonderful research kind of out there that in the last decade and maybe a little bit before, but now that we're seeing more and more youth identifying with this and I'm seeing a lot of boys, ace boys kind of identifying with this. I'm like, okay, let, let's do it. Right? Let's, let's add this, um, this narrative now let's start talking about it and I think it's really important as mental health 
practitioners to learn about this identity. Yeah, and I'm so I'm thinking about how you were saying allosexual people are so worried that asexuality is just going to destroy the concept mm-hmm. of sexuality for them and that yeah. same fear really happened I feel like when the LGBTQ movement started coming up that oh what does this mean that I can't have mm-hmm. my heterosexual relationship and it's like no it actually yeah. says nothing about you. We are just creating more space for the diversity. You yeah. can still do what you want to do. Yeah, when gay marriage started we're still seeing yes. it where people don't want to uh, bring in LGBTQ studies, queer studies into um, public like high schools and things like that. And it's like, well, they don't need to know. I'm like, yeah, but there's likely one queer person in your classroom who needs to know who needs to know the history of, you know, this. And it, it really amplifies, I think, people of colors because we know black people of color are really big and queer history like and all that stuff so and transgender brings in the transgender so it's like yeah people exist in your classroom they're probably not in some classrooms not going to show it like me because we don't know what we're going to get but they're there so again it's like I said me finding that term on the internet was just everything that I always thought was wrong with me was now validated that I'm okay and having that and I don't And when you have that experience, you recognize the importance of it and why it's really needed. Yes. Yes. What a powerful journey to have been, you know, through that personally now and to be dedicating your studies to creating, yeah, more space, Mm -hmm. more understanding for these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's, It's so fascinating to me and disheartening, I guess, that people get so uncomfortable about the idea of holding more space for diversity. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all we're trying to do is just say that there's different people out mm-hmm. there that have different desires than you. Mm-hmm. Why does that scare so many people? You know, that again, Jungian and Psyche person here, like we, we know like people fear unknown. Our ego likes normality. It likes comfort. And every time Box. we, we like boxes, it's like, we like, structure well especially western society we've been trained to like structure and when we go out of that box especially for the age who weren't fitting in a box and um for those who don't fit in a box like oh you're changing the rules and there's comfort in the rules so now when we change them so people will fight back on that and <sighs> yeah and part of it is yes there's some people where i'm like forget you and then there's some okay how can i approach this with empathy it's part of being a teacher I think and that's one of the reasons why I say like I put myself out there so for those who do want to engage in conversation in a respectful Mm. way I will be glad to do it I'm not going to be here for like your there's something wrong that kind of mentality but for those who like I want to ask questions but are scared to ask questions I like I said I will maintain my boundaries but I'm totally open to answering questions that you have that's part of the work too And then I I always tell people, I tell my students too, you want to know about someone's lived experience, read memoirs, (laughs) read Mm. books. Like, don't just read the textbook, read the the memoirs and the biographies and the autobiographies of people who, you know, their experience. And mostly memoirs, I like memoirs, those are, that's my jam. But I'm like, that's how you can do it, right? Or you listen, listen to these podcasts, these interviews, right watch shows created by creators from that community and that's that's like that's a pretty easy place to start yeah Yeah. do you think you'll want to make a memoir eventually people have been telling me when they've heard my dissertation like you should turn this into a book so I think maybe one day um I don't know my adventures as an ace therapist but yeah it's been that's people have been telling me that so it's probably I'm thinking about maybe doing something like that as well I think, and then I, I get this, again, this thought, well, because a lot of memoirs have the big sexual journey piece, and I'm like, people are like, well, they'll find it boring, because you don't have that. I'm like, well, that's what I'll be talking about, right? What it, what it was like not to have that huge kind of... Exactly. Yeah. And what you do know is that there mm-hmm. are other people who have had a similar lived experience to you yeah. who would benefit greatly from being mm-hmm. able to hear your inner thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, I had a breakdown on college campus. Like who has not had a breakdown on college campus at some point in their lives? And I'm like, that's what I can share, right? That's what I can share. And that had nothing to do with that was just being 
the college student being a first um, generation college student and trying to navigate that right yeah and that you know not knowing your place in the world and thinking the plan and the plan to drop that's like how I like I said I'm somehow a therapist and people know me as the person who's not a fan of people and (laughs) that's how they knew me and here I am in a profession that's all about people and I love it love and intimacy let's be very clear like you have intimacy with your clients you do yeah it's it's a weird one because I know a lot about them and they don't know that much about me and you know, like, and sometimes I do, I am a fan of self-disclosing for therapeutic reasoning. Sure. Yeah. Right? But, you know, like, there's that level of, like, I'm trusting you with everything that sometimes the romantic partners don't even, or sex partners don't exactly. even know about them. And exactly. And a lot of times, the, that, that intimacy, it's hard to describe. I mean, I think those who've been to therapy or therapists, they're, they're different. Like, I have the being a client and then being a therapist and holding those spaces are very intimate places to be in. Of course. Yeah. Cause I mean, I have a therapist and I've dumped yeah. my whole heart and thought and you know, the things that maybe I only say to myself to that person, it's an mm-hmm. intimate relationship. We don't engage in any sexual activity, obviously. And there's a ton of boundaries <laughs> between boundaries. our professional relationship, but that does not mean that it's not intimate. Mm-hmm. I also have intimacy with my mom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we're so like, Oh, exactly what you said earlier intimacy means sex it's like no it doesn't always it it can if you would like it to but I have an intimate relationship with my mother Mm -hmm. and that's healthy and beautiful that we're close and able to have that you know people get so tabooed and like feel and I yeah it's we really got to expand what does it mean to be in relationship with people Mm -hmm. what does it mean to have intimate relationships and how Mm -hmm. do we yeah take off the lenses that have been trying to put us in boxes that Mm -hmm. are truly not serving the diversity of the human experience yeah 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 I'm hoping I'm thinking things are changing I'm seeing it the more we talk about this (laughs) podcast like this right sure Um, and again taking away the taboo of the world word intimate and mm. as we know, there's so many different forms of intimacy. Um, there's so much different, even outside of like touch, let's just bring there's intimate touch that does not mean yes. sex as well. Yes. Right. And that's, yes. again, I, I bring that in, not just for my ACE clients, but those who have experienced like sexual trauma, right. And are relearning the, their body because, and there's a lot of body trauma, I think within the ACE community and with people in general, I think that, you know, there's, a lot of body trauma that's what I mostly work with as well but just yeah like again intimacy and these intimate touches don't always mean sex so what does that mean and yeah it's it's a whole I mean I'm excited to see it and I love that me talking like I'm getting engagement from these people again oh now I'm thinking about like that's all I want you to do is think about it right I'm not even saying you have to be like, woohoo, go ace. Like, I'm just, I just want you to think about it. <laughs> Expand. Expand. Openness. Open. That's all we want, right? That's all we want. Uh, yeah. Yes. And yeah, I mean, we can go on, you know, regarding like asexual and polyamory and polyamorous relationships and switch, you know, you had Jolie talk about that probably, obviously. And, and then what does that mean? And I see, you know, I see a few of those who are in poly relationships. So, you know, opening and expanding that doesn't mean there's an attachment issue because people go in, there must be some attachment. They can't be intimate. I'm like, "Mm." so again, that it's deconstructing when we can deconstruct some of these words and open them and make so much space for all these other beautiful form of relationships that exist outside of that, the norm. Yep. Yep. This is why I've been trying to take out like a step away from this monogamy poly binary, right? Like mm-hmm. I am in relationship with a ton mm-hmm. of different people all the mm-hmm. time that have varying degrees of intimacy, varying mm-hmm. degrees of boundaries and commitments, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's ultimately what's happening regardless of what I'm doing and having that space to create that allows for like, yeah, if I am in a deep relationship with someone who's asexual, how can we create intimacy between the two of us? Yeah you know Mm -hmm. yeah and because a lot of ace people enter relationships without sexual people as well so what does that mean to be in a relationship with somebody who's ace to the compromises the the dialogue communication the communication 
Right. I'm always bringing in BD, the proper BDSM communities. I'm like, yeah, like you've got to do that. You got exactly. to have this conversation. Exactly. And especially if you're ace and alone in a relationship to have a healthy relationship, you got to know boundaries. You got to discuss what touch is okay. And again, it's, I, I think people like, well, they're, if they're ace, they're never going to want to have sex. That's not true for all asexual people. There are sex positive and there's demisexual and yeah. You know, if it's like, you know, I do care about you and I will get, but it's not going to be like maybe a nightly thing or an every week. It could be really rare. So then it's like, well, let's talk about poly polyamory then and polyamorous relationships, poly relationships. And maybe that can be put on the table. Right. And then how can we engage with that? So again, it's opening that space. And it's like, well, if I have sex with this, but doesn't mean I don't, I, does that mean I don't love them? No. Yeah, not at all. Exactly. And exactly. I guess it's just changing, I guess, changing the narrative, opening space. Yes. Opening the space to create it yourselves mm -hmm. with those, you know, two or mm -hmm. more people, whatever allows the two of you to feel intimate or the three, mm -hmm. well, you know, whatever amount of numbers we have mm -hmm. here. It's all about these relationships and how yeah. do both parties feel yeah. safe, loved. Yeah intimate and let's just create abundance of space to do that mm -hmm. nothing is stopping us these are all societal pressures that are saying this mm -hmm. is how you do it this is how you do it and we don't have to listen to them if we don't want to you we don't can have create to. them and i'm gonna bring it all the way back to the mythology piece, do it is that do it we've already seen this in a lot of mythological stories mm. because it's part of the human experience and then that's why you know that's why us youngians like to bring in myth because it, it kind of it's already existed Yep, in right. the human psyche. In the, the human psyche. The, yep. the collective unconscious. Of course, there's little, when it got put through like a patriarchal lens, we're going to lose bits and pieces. But if we go into, you know, well, how can we look at this, this archetypal mythological image as an autonomous being? And that's where active imagination, all that fun stuff comes in. Like what would they say about these relationships that are new to us but aren't actually really new to the human experience at exactly. all and, exactly you know, or, and that's where these myths and stories come in right so it's it's engaging both the the current live experience and these experiences of the past Yes, and I love that you're doing that work with your history background to kind of, you know, enlighten people that this has been around for a long time mm -hmm. and let's start talking about these narratives mm -hmm. that maybe weren't present before. And I love mm -hmm. that you are continually asking who's missing from this story and how can we bring those mm -hmm. stories forward too. I think that's such an mm -hmm. important piece in terms of looking forward and how can we make this an even better future is continually asking mm -hmm. that question yeah. of whose narrative is missing. Yeah. And yeah, I'm all, like, again, I'm looking at an ass, am I the right one to tell the story or can I make space for somebody else to tell the story? As in my dissertation, it's following the work of do uh, Dr. Christine Downing, who if you're a Pacific person, you know who she is, if you're listening, who's great. I love her. And um, Jane Bolin Shinoda. And then I'm bringing this and who's say like a few years or maybe someone two years down the road could say, okay, now I'm going to add this to the narrative. Right. So there's so I'm just recognizing when it's okay for me to tell certain stories and some stories are not meant for me to tell. And so knowing that that case, but it's but can I make space for someone to to add that as in me bringing in asexuality into the depth psychological field is just again the tip of the iceberg. It's just kind of I'm not I don't even really want to say step one. It's like a little bit <laughs> smaller than that. And now, okay, now that that's there, because when I was looking at dissertations and saying, oh, I don't want to, like, do the same thing, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not even there. I got zero search results. That's what I got and, for relationship anarchy. Yeah, yeah it's like nothing. And You're like, okay. Now there will be at least one. And then it's at like, least one. At yeah. least one, right? So that's, mm -hmm. again, and now that can be like, well, if there's at uh. least one, maybe I can add to it. Yes, exactly. Beginning that whole mm -hmm. journey of filling in these large gaps yeah. in the psychological field, which is so, so exciting. Ugh, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to see all the work that you're going to do in the next, you know, years of learning and getting deeper into this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the questions I do ask everyone on the podcast as my closing question mm -hmm. is, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? that not having sex 
is normal. <laughs> I was going to say it. Say it. Not having a crush, not having sex, and not falling in love are normal. Mm. Mm. And I'm probably, there's so many people that just hearing that would feel accepted and feel able to be present in their authentic self just from hearing you say that. Thank you. Yeah. It was such a pleasure to have you on. Do you have anywhere that if you want, if people are really connecting with you, I know you mentioned that you're open to people reaching out to you and asking Mm -hmm. questions. Is there Mm -hmm. anywhere that you'd recommend them to get in contact? Um, My Instagram page is probably the best. Um, So that would be, it's like, should I say it out loud? Or are you going to? Sure, whatever you want to do. I'll, sure. I'll hyperlink it below, you know, so yeah, people can that have would it. Yeah, be the best because it has the link to like my website and how to contact awesome. me there. But, um, and I do, it's at the underscore therapy underscore witch dot com because, or not dot com, that's also therapywitch.com is my website. Sorry, at the therapy under the underscore therapy underscore witch. And because we didn't even get into that, I'm, <laughs> so, like that identity and that history and sure, all that sure. fun stuff and um I will say because I'm so busy I'm not up to date with like doing content stuff but feel free I do check it so if anyone wants to reach out regarding ace mental health Jungian psychology they can feel free to contact me on there as well yeah yes I love that you're putting out that space if people need you and need to connect mm-hmm. with you you're here that it's very kind yeah Ugh. Well, it's so good to hear from your lived experience. I think exactly you. what you're talking about of some stories are not meant to be told from certain people. And this is not my story to tell. This is your story to tell. And it's been such a pleasure to hold yeah. space Thank and you. to share your story, you know, and with listeners and hopefully help expand just our ideas and our consciousness to make a better, more loving yeah. world. And thank you for creating this space. And, you know, I was listening to some of your, you know, other guests. I'm like, shit like these are awesome <laughs> right <laughs> these are awesome thank people you. on here so yeah thank you for if you enjoyed today's episode then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and if you're a part of the anarchist community then follow us on instagram or nominate a guest for the show by sending in a letter to modern at gmail.com otherwise i'll see you next week